Well, good day, Fellowship family. I want to call your attention to two of these cards. Let's get the card wave going here. You got them? Let me see them. Okay, good. We can lift them up, which means we can hand them out, right? These are all about Easter, and two weeks Easter is coming up. And I want to draw your attention to the screen because uh, three years ago, when we were building this building, we actually wanted to build a building for us and two of our friends, right? Two of our friends who weren't connected to a church, two of our friends who are far from God, and two of our friends who we really wanted to experience in a relationship with God, what we have been experiencing in Christ. And so we don't want this just to be about us. We want this to be about for anyone who's interested in this message and would love to uh, join you. And so I'm just going to encourage you, take these and hand them out to a friend. Uh, we always talk about you and two. There's two people in your life who need Christ. So Easter's a really easy time to invite someone with you. And we're going to make room. We've uh, built this building for that. And uh, so I would just encourage you, come at a service where they can come uh, on that weekend. We have two Saturday evening services, one at 4.15 and one 6 p.m. And then three Sunday morning services, one a sunrise service. Can any of you say amen to donuts? All right. So I will give you carbs and sugar if you'll come at the 7.30 service. To make room for others on, who come on a, a, a more popular service that we have. So we'll have a great time together. I hope you'll join us for that. As we talk about uh, the resurrection of Jesus really giving us a new lease on faith, hope, and love. And that's a great message we want everyone to hear. So I hope you'll join us for that and invite a friend or family member who's not connected to a church yet. All right, we're continuing in this series uh, called Way of Life. Actually, we're concluding today. And so if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Matthew chapter 7. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This has been 12 or 13 weeks that we've been on this journey together. And I don't know about you, but this has been refreshing for me. It hasn't always been easy to listen to the teaching of Jesus on here on this because sooner or later, as Jesus talks to me, he's going to mess with me. <laughs> he's going to mess with something that I'm holding on to, a way of life, a decision I'm dealing with that I need to be called to truth rather than error. And so as we have gone through this, um, think about what Jesus has called us to up to this point. He's called us away from religious systems and into an authentic relationship with him. He's called us to be salt in a, a, a world that's kind of deteriorating morally. He's called us to be people who live what it's like to be truth and love in this world. He's called us to be salt and light. He's called us away from being self-righteous and feeling superior to everyone around us. And a call to be humble and open and loving to the people in our lives. He's called us to not worry about appearances. Be focused on authenticity. He calls us away from anger and into a life of short accounts. He calls us away from lust. Lust to get things for ourselves in order to love, to give up ourselves for someone else. He's called us away from revenge and getting even in order that we could forgive others and give grace. He's called us from living away, living away from a secretive life into a life of integrity. He's called us away from worry and into a life of faith. He's called us away from comparing our lives with others and instead just confessing our dependence on Christ. Call us away from, remember that, building treasures on this earth where everything moth and rust corrupt and, and eat away, but instead to build uh, ourselves treasures in heaven, things that last, God, his word, and people. 
And today he's really going to call us, what are you going to do with this? And it begs the question from our times together here that these can be really good sounding messages and they can be bold and they can be clear and we may like them because we're kind of addicted to sound bites, aren't we? We like sound bites that, that kind of bolster our feelings or our opinions, whether it's political or religious. We kind of go that way and we just repeat that. We like that, but it's another thing to actually live what we're tweeting or retweeting, right? And that's what Jesus is going to call us into. So take a look at it with me. It's in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 23. And it's kind of the finale of his message. In other words, what are you going to do with what he said? And here it is. He gives a parable. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, it will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds beat and blew against it, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. See what Jesus is saying here? There's a difference. There is a difference between hearing his word and not doing nothing and hearing his word and acting upon it. And this is really our last waypoint of this series. And what it means is this. The depth of what I say is reflected in how I obey. You know, there's a lot of people who say, I'm Christian. And we kind of use it as a badge. And we wear the cross and we kind of say this to the world. But really, how many of us are following Jesus? Because that's what a Christian is. That's a Christ follower. It's real simple. Follows Jesus. (laughs) So are you following Jesus? Because ultimately, not just what you say matters, it's not just what you confess, it's also what you live. Do you live in response to what you believe? In other words, does your behavior reflect your belief? Now remember, your good deeds, your behavior doesn't save you. Never does, never has, never will. It's the work of Jesus that saved you, but you live differently when you realize Jesus, Jesus has made things right with God for you. And so that's what Jesus is going to call us into. Everything that he's talked about. And he's going to call us to make three crucial life choices. One has to do with uh, ultimately our foundation, our faith foundation. The other one has to do with our way of life. And the final one has to do, well, what's the end of it? What's our final destination? And he, he mentions and teaches about each of those questions. And I think they're questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Let's talk about them. First one is this. What's your faith foundation? What's your faith foundation on what is the basis that you are building a relationship with God? Look at what Jesus said. There's a man who built his house on the rock, and there's another one who built his house on the sand. A foundation. What is a faith foundation? Well, it's the basis of your trust and confidence with God. It's how you believe you're made right with God. And that belief informs and influences your behavior. And so let's talk about the two options that Jesus gives here. He talks about building your house on rock or building your house on sand. What does it mean to build your house on the rock? Well, literally, he says, anyone who hears his word and does it is the one who builds on the rock. What is the rock? Well, it's confidence in Christ. It's our trust in Christ, the word of God made flesh, as 1 John 1.14 says, that God's word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. And then the person of Jesus was literally God in the flesh who lived for us, who died for us, and rose again for us. And so this is why it's important. When we build our faith foundation on Christ, we're saying it's not my works, it's not my efforts, it's the completed work of Jesus that saves me. And that's what makes biblical Christianity very distinctive from all the other religious systems of this world. It's because most of the systems of this world say, be better, try harder, do good. And if you're in someday, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll be right with God. If you just keep trying, biblical Christianity says trust. Trust in the person and the work of God. Because only Jesus lived perfectly. None of us can. Only Jesus died completely on the cross. He took God's wrath for my sin and yours on the cross. And only Jesus rose from the dead. Believing in Jesus is building our house on the rock, our faith foundation. What's it like to build our house on the sand? Here it says the foolish person builds it on the sand. Jesus was confronting the religious leaders of the day, but today he confronts that part of us that wants to earn it with him. And you know what? So many of our relationships are based on our performance of how we do. I've even seen this raising kids. If I don't keep my eyes on Jesus, then... The athletic performance of my kids, the academic performance of my kids, their attitudes will affect how I treat them because I'll be living as a father in a way that they would have to perform up to. My heavenly father doesn't treat me like that. There's no way I could measure up with my heavenly father, yet he gives me grace. And he gave me Jesus who lived perfectly for me, who met that righteous requirement, who died and who rose again for me. Living your life on the sand basically means I can try harder. I can do more. The problem is, is just as sand shifts when there's rain and floods come, just as that's shaky ground, so it is when you live a life based on your performance. Think about it. If you believe you can earn your way to God, if you believe you can be good enough to get in, you will always be wondering, did I do enough? Do I have enough? Am I good enough? And you will be tempted to build structures in which you compare yourself with others. And I've been there. (laughs) I choose those structures in which I'm doing well today, right? And we'll ignore the things I'm not doing well in. And you choose the areas you are doing good in. So you can look better than me. But God never compares you with anyone else. He compares you with Christ. And for that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need Jesus to be our rock. He's the one who's solid. We need to turn away from the temptation to build our lives on performance and works or efforts or trying harder. And we need to trust deeper in the rock of God. Now, we do this. We do this already. We already love the rock. We love to build on the rock. Case in point, the building you're in right now. Three years ago, when we were um, doing core drillings for this location on building this building, we came across, uh, all the reports came back. There is rock 12 feet below the surface of the soil. So dig to that rock, pour the footings, and the building will be secure. Problem is, is when we finally dug the pillars, they hit false rock, and the drill went all the way through them, and we actually had to go twice as deep as we originally thought. And so we dug these pillars... I hate those pillars. I really do. And then the other thing we realized is that um, this river, it's really not a river, but the state of Kansas calls it a river, a navigable river. 
And see that in, there it is. Do you see the barges sailing on it? So we couldn't mess with that. We couldn't mess with that. But they allowed us to build a retention wall. That, see that right there? I hate that wall. See that? That's because of that wall. I lost my hair because of that wall. It was so expensive. It cost us a half a million dollars to build that wall. Because that river, when it flooded, in August it didn't matter. But in March and April, when that river is going, it'll undercut that soil and erode away. And then the soil above it would fall down into the river. And we just noticed this is happening. In the past 20 years, it moved 14 feet. Okay? It's amazing what happens when the rain falls. And so we built that. And it came at a great cost because we'd rather pay for it rather than our kids. Well, kids will be paying on it, by the way. Um, but it's, it's something. We wanted this building to stand. And the reality is, is look at it. It's those piers are holding up the building and the wall is holding back the river. We believe in this. We value things that are solid and unchanging. We go deep and we spend the money because we want the building to last. Why don't we do that with our faith? Why don't we really seek what's last? Where, where is our ultimate confidence? Why don't we buy into the, the, these words of Jesus and not just go, oh, it sounds so nice that it's all by grace, it's his love, and start living it. We really have the gospel influence and permeate our lives to build on the rock of Jesus. And then Jesus talks about the second thing, not just your faith foundation, but your way of life. And let's take a look at this. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So here are the choices, really. Do you want to live wisely or do you want to live foolishly? Here's the definition of a wise person. It's not perfection. So if you think you've got to be perfect, you don't have to be perfect to be wise. Here's all you have to do. You have to, when the light of God's truth hits your life, you have to be willing to change. Okay, so if you can, if you can do that, when the truth is, and there's a difference between God's truth and your truth, but when you realize who God is and who you are and what he's calling you to be and to do, then the wise person has a pattern of change. You want to be foolish? When the light of truth of God's word hits your life, don't do what it says. <laughs> Resist it. And a foolish person would rather change the truth than to change themselves. And so a foolish person, when they hear the word of God, they go, yes, but. How many times have you heard that from someone who wanted to live the way they wanted to live? Yeah, I know God says this, but, you know, he, he didn't live the life. I, really? You want to go there? Yeah, he did. He did. And he was rejected just as you have been. He suffered far more than many of us have ever suffered. And yet we're called to be wise, that we hear his word and do what it says. Now, this comes down to an authority issue. And I know we don't like the word authority, and we don't certainly like the word submission, which means we submit to God, we follow him. But all I can say is uh, someone, a Christ follower, follows Christ. The, the name itself answers the question of what do they do? They follow Christ. And uh, just to show you, look at how the crowd responded to Jesus after he taught this parable. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this, or, or uh, Matthew says this. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, 
For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. In other words, words, there was something about the way Jesus was teaching that when people listened to him, he'd go, wow, sounds like he's the authority behind these words. Sounds like he's actually the source of these words. He's God in the flesh. People were saying that when he taught. And so really, your obedience to the word of God is based on the authority you place God in your life. So here's what it's like. You're driving down the highway and you're within the speed limit, right? And uh, what are the cars around you? What are they like when you're driving the speed limit? They're, you know, kind of maybe you're enjoying it. You're looking around. You can look around and see the scenery. And you arrive at your, your destination. You may pass a state trooper on the way. And what do you do? God bless you. Stay where you're at, right? <laughs> yeah, we do that. But when you're driving and going your own way, and you're 15 to 20 over the speed limit, what are other cars? They're obstacles, right? Get out of my way! And you're thankful you don't have that little Christian fish on the back of your car by the way you're driving, right? And when you pass the state trooper, what do you do? You curse, right? Oh, something. And then you go on Facebook and you say, there's a speed trap, watch out for it, everyone. Boom, you know, and you get ticked because that state trooper now is an offense to you and you don't want them in your life, right? God bless you if you're a state trooper. You're all welcome in the family of God. But that's the reality. When you're not living according to the law, anything to do with the law, especially the authority that enforces the law, is a threat to you. And I found this. If I'm not willing to follow Jesus, he's a threat to me. He's offensive to me. And so what Jesus is going to call us in is ultimately live wisely. Live a life that responds to who he is. And so as I talk about this, um, I wanted to... This kind of developed in my message from Thursday on, okay? And something about preachers, or at least me, my sermon is percolating all week with me. And I got the notes out to be printed uh, by the end of the day on Wednesday. And this came to me on Thursday, Friday. And it begs the question from our passage. So uh, what I'm sharing with you right now comes at no additional charge this morning, okay? But it's something I think is really important because when Jesus calls us to be wise over being foolish, it begs the question, how do I allow God to build wisdom in me? Right? How do you, if you're here, how do I become wise? What does God use to build wisdom in me? And I think whatever topic you're talking about, whether it's your career, whether it's relationships, uh, whether it's following Jesus in, in all those areas, in all those relationships, he uses four things to build, build wisdom in me. Let me share them with you. And I call them the four pillars of wisdom, how God builds wisdom. And it's based on a passage in Joshua 1.8. And Joshua is about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And in Joshua 1.8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's four points. Let's talk about them. Again, the four pillars of wisdom. First one is knowledge. You see, you can't grow in what you don't know. And knowledge is good. Knowledge is ultimately the seeking of truth. It's asking the question, what is true? Here Joshua said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, keep 
the knowledge of the word right in front of you. Don't walk away from it. Don't wander away from it. See the truth and accept the truth of God. When you're acquainted with knowledge, when you receive the truth of who God is, you're basically saying, I believe this. And the wise person is open and accepts the truth of God for their lives. In knowledge, it answers the question, what? What does God want me to do? And the, it's, it's answered by you seeing what God wants you to do. And you know, when you open up God's word and you read it, that should be your desire. I want to understand, I want to seek the knowledge of God for me. Then there is the pillar of understanding. It's one thing to know it. Another thing is to understand it. In, in knowing it, we ask what? What do I see? In understanding, we ask why. Why does God say it? And I think this is important because there's something in us that always wants to know why. Think about it. If you're raising kids, two-year-old up to 90-year-old, we all go. When someone says, don't do this, do this, we all go, why? Why? We still do that. We still do that. There's something that God has hardwired us for purpose. We want to know why. And when you understand why, it, it builds the case for you following now, understanding is, is uh, what Joshua says, you shall meditate on it day and night. In other words, it's not just the word that bounces off your life. You don't just read it and check the box. You, you kind of allow it to saturate your life. You don't just read in one passage. You search around the scriptures and the, get the whole counsel of God to see how God responded over time, how God spoke to people over time. And a wise person understands and appreciates the truth. With knowledge, you see it. But with understanding, you get it. Have you ever been studying in class if you're a college student? And the professor has just been waxing on eloquently. And all of a sudden, they share a story. And they take what you didn't understand. And all of a sudden, they tell the story. And you go, oh, I get it. Yeah, that's what happens with understanding. Some of you have classes you'll never figure that out in, right? But when we get it, it's exciting. And we go, yes, I love that about that. And when you understand that God is good in all that he does, God is loving, God is just and righteous. When you understand and and you see his character in a story, you see his character in his commands, you see his love and his call to a relationship in his commands, you're beginning to understand God. And then God also uses experience. With knowledge, it answered the question, what? With understanding, that answers the question, why? But with experience, it answers the question, how? How do I take what God is saying and how do I follow him? And that's where Joshua said to the people, be careful to do all that is written in it. This is the enduring practice of truth. And the wise person experiences truth and endures in the truth. In other words, where knowledge, where you see it and, and, and uh, understanding was get it, experience is how you live it. Living what it looks like to obey God and his will for my life. This means that when you're going through a difficult time, you actually invite God into your life. And you, you ask, God, what's the wisest thing for me to think about this? God, what's the wisest thing for me to say to that person? God, what's the wisest thing for me to do in this situation? Experience is so important. And then there's the pillar of relationships. Uh, All in all, as Jesus called people to follow him, he said, ultimately what it's all about is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. 
and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 22. But ultimately, relationships are the practice of not just you experiencing the wisdom of God in your life, but then you giving wisdom and teaching and instructing and, and showing others how they can live in wisdom. This involves uh, that a wise person lovingly transfers the truth to others. Whereas knowledge was about what and understanding was why and experience was how, this is really who. Who am I going to influence with the wisdom of God? We don't just see it or get it or live it. We give it to others. Now, these are the four pillars. And I didn't change it between service. So I'm not Southern. That second one isn't understanding. There's a G under there, okay? (laughs) Work with me. (laughs) Gotta have good understanding, people. So at any rate, at any rate... Now, you may be really good in your knowledge of God's word. You may have grown up in church, in Sunday school, and so you know the Bible back and forth, but, but you're not experiencing it. You're not applying it to your words. You know it really well, but you're not applying it. What? You're being foolish. And you may have the knowledge of God's word and the experience with God's word, but no understanding because you've just believed or walked out of obligation and you haven't understood the opportunity that it's like to live in God's word. And you may be really good as a hermit in a cave being wise, but you don't have people. See, ministry is easy if it weren't for people, right? But what is ministry? It's people, right? And we're all called to live in balance with this. And God uses all this. You know, when you graduate from high school, you have um, a certain amount of knowledge, but very low experience. When you graduate, even under a specialty and field in college, if you graduated from college, you had high knowledge, but low experience. How do you become wise when experience rises up? Okay? And it matches your knowledge and understanding. Every relationship grows, your relationship with God and relationship with others, when you are allowing God to build wisdom with knowledge, understanding, experience, and relationships. And by the way, my redemption is there is a G under there. See the G? It's a small one, but I remembered it. Okay, let's move on. This has to do with our final destination. And look, let's go back to the original story of Jesus. There's two people. One built their house on the rock. One built their house on the sand. Same house, by the way. Just different foundation. You can look like everyone else. But what's your foundation? And then um, when, when that one built wisely into the rock, one built foolishly. What, what was, how did they become? Well, one didn't do it. And one did once they heard the word of God. But what happened? The same thing happened to the same houses, different houses. I mean, the, the rain fell, the floods came, the wind blew and beat. But what happened? What happened was a storm. And right now, our whole world is kind of like, hey, whatever you want to believe about God, whatever you want to believe about yourself, as long as you're sincere, don't worry about it. And that functions now because the storm hasn't come. <laughs> What's this storm that Jesus is talking about here? Well, if you read the scriptures and you research, I've done a lot of research this year on storms. You remember the series we did on storms? But one of the storms is if ultimately the confrontation 
of us and God that will take place. And I know many of us just like the precious moments kind of God who's that soft, you know, uh, always forgiving, always loving God who will never confront anything about us. He'll always accept us and we'll never have to deal with anything with God. But there's the side of God that we've got to realize. He is just, he is righteous, and he is holy. And we will confront with that. And we will all be accountable to him. And that's why it's so important that our lives are on the rock because only Jesus does for us what we can't do for ourselves. He saves us. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from the righteous judgment of God because on the cross, Jesus took the judgment of God. He took it for us so that no longer do we have a righteousness of our own. It's always a righteousness given to us by the person and the work of Jesus. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I know this is a hard picture, but this is what in the Old Testament, when the uh, children of Israel, when Israel had walked away from the Lord, their, their priests were corrupt. They were worshiping other gods besides God. And they were saying to people, no problem, peace, peace. We're peace with God. We're okay. Ezekiel uh, in chapter 13 says, you said peace, peace when there is no peace between you and God. So you ready for the storm? Look at this. Therefore, says the Lord, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you will perish in the midst of it and you shall know that I am the Lord. Wow, this isn't a feel good kind of message right here. Is it? it isn't. It's difficult to hear. But here's how I make sense of it. If I hate injustice and inequalities of this world and the exploitation of this world, and I don't have anything in my resources that God sees that and in his truth and his justice and his righteousness will judge that, then it erodes hope in my life. And, and that issue of justice in my own life that rises up when someone does something bad against me so that I point a finger at someone else and maybe even say in my prayer, God, get him. (laughs) You know that? You know that part of me? Well, I don't have a problem sometimes when that's pointed at other people, but I do have a problem when it's pointed at me. And our greatest relief, our greatest refuge is Jesus. And there will be a time when we're all accountable to God there will be a time where we either stand or we fall. And God wants us to stand on the rock of Jesus. Family, family, listen. Throughout Old Testament or New Testament, the people of God have always praised God for being the rock. And a follower of Jesus knows that. A follower of Jesus is not here because they're good enough, because they've tried harder, because they've been in attendance, given in the offering, served in ministry. They're here because of Jesus. And we come to Jesus with all our brokenness, with all of our baggage, with all of our failures, and we say, fix me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but fix me. Because I can't make myself right. And it's in that humility and that brokenness that salvation is ours. You want to be at odds with God? Fight against him. Go your own way and keep trying. 
And we all have to get to the end of ourselves where we realize, like they, they did in Psalm 95, verse 1, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Jesus has always been the rock. He's been the refuge in times of trouble. He's been our refuge, even in the wrath of God. Make him your refuge. By faith, trust in Jesus. Take this moment. You may have come here and you may have thought it's all up to you. You just got to be a nice person and a good person. And that's how God makes you right. And folks, we can't. We can't be good enough because the standard is perfection. And so only Jesus can do that for us. By now, in faith, just say, God, I'm making Jesus my foundation. I'm building on the rock. And I'm willing to follow you. I don't know what that's going to look like, but whatever you show me, I'm willing to take that next step in knowledge and understanding, experience, and the relationships in my life. And if you do this, he will be your salvation. Because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the gospel. This is the way of life that Jesus is calling us. Not to people who just go, oh, I like how that sounds. I mean, we can be really idealistic. We like how it sounds. But really, Jesus is saying, no, follow me. And I will make you. I will make you. I will make you salt. I will make you light. I will make you someone who's loving. I will make you someone who's more patient. I will make you someone who runs from revenge. And gives grace. Everything we are is because of Jesus. It's his way of life for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us a foundation. All other ground is shifting sand. So Jesus, we thank you for what you've taught us. We thank you for your way of life. A life towards wisdom. Which can only be given to us by you. Leading to a life that stands now and for eternity because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.